Amen. Thank you, Brother Carl. See, it's so good to see you this morning. We're glad that you're here. and Hope you've come expecting blessings from the Lord. Hope you've had a, a good week. And uh, we uh, do want you to continue to be praying for Brother Bill's family. and uh, So thankful for uh, his life and for his example and uh, for his friendship. And... Um, just, uh, and I know we're all going to uh, miss him in, in great ways. We already do, uh, as we've uh, mentioned. So you hear your Bibles this morning, you turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses. It's interesting, we started the Gospel of Mark uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, it's taken us a while to get through the first 10 chapters. Uh, but what's interesting is those first ten chapters cover the first almost three years of Jesus' life. And these last seven chapters will cover the last week uh, of Jesus' life. So that's pretty interesting. You know, there's uh, much more said about uh, this last week. And what a week it was because it was a week that history would forever change. The world was never again the same after that Good Friday and Easter morning uh, 2,000 years ago. For the, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus quite literally changed the course of human history. It changed our calendar. Uh, it divided history. Uh, and when the, the gospel has gone forth over these many, many uh, centuries, countless lives have been changed, and much good is, has been done, um, but sometimes, unknowingly or unwittingly, uh, are people involved uh, in God's plan, and we're going to see some of that uh, today, and uh, so let's take a look, beginning in verse 1, it says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage, and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, uh, and as soon as you've entered it, you will find a colt tied and, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to uh, them, What are you doing loosening the colt? And he spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down uh, leafy branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David, that it comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he looked around at all the things... As the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. 
So in just reading these 11 verses, it seemed like all that tremendous of a story. Uh, you realize that this was what we call Palm Sunday, is the day that this was happening. Uh, as Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem for uh, the last time uh, that uh, he's alive um, before his crucifixion. It's Passover week coming. So, um, in just a few days after this, the Passover uh, observances will start all over the, the area. Jesus, remember, was uh, hanging out uh, in Bethany, which is where uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, Lazarus lived. Um, and uh, so Jesus was going to Jerusalem for Passover, uh, but he was spending the night uh, with his friends. Uh, and Bethany, just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem, so it wasn't that far of a, of a journey uh, to get there. But so often uh, we, need, we miss what these 11 verses are really about. There are a lot of people that were seemingly insignificantly involved in this story. And yet we look back and we say, you know what? God orchestrated uh, all these things to take place. And God used ordinary people to accomplish his will. And so the first and most important thing we need to understand as we look at these 11 verses is this important truth. Jesus is who he said he was. There are some that suspect that Jesus didn't really know or have any idea, at least until the very end, who he was, that he was God. But I think that Jesus knew from the time he was little who he was and what purpose he was here for. As Jesus grew, the scriptures tell us that Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge and in favor with men and with God. He understood more and more about his work. And by the time he called his 12 disciples, he knew who he was and what his purpose was and what he was going to accomplish. And he knew that his time had finally come. He'd been kind of quiet about who he was. In fact, we've seen already in the Gospel of Mark a few instances where Jesus has done a miracle to somebody and he tells them to do something to us that seems pretty odd. He says, don't tell anybody about what's happened. Now, of course, most of the time that didn't work out. The person that was healed did go and tell everybody. But we see that Jesus knew his time was not at hand yet. He didn't want to make a big deal. But now he is proclaiming, I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. I am the long-awaited Messiah. That's what the Passover, remember, way back in the book of Exodus, what Passover was about. The... the, uh, Ten plagues uh, on Egypt. The last one was the death of the firstborn. And you remember that God had come to Moses and told him, listen, tell everybody in the house of Israel to put blood over their doorposts and down the side and, uh, because the death angel is going to come and every firstborn is going to die. But when the death angel sees the blood on the door, he'll pass over that house, and that house, everyone in it, 
and everything, its livestock, everything will live. And hence the name Passover, and, and Jews still celebrate that today. But the Passover, the, the Jews were looking forward to the Messiah coming, and if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, it's very interesting, and one day we may do that here at our church, maybe next Easter. Uh, but they leave a plate setting empty and a chair that's empty. And they sing, and at the beginning, uh, they do a little spiel about maybe this will be the time that the Lord will come back. And at the end, they sing a little song and say, maybe next year he'll, he'll show up. But the truth is, he's come. He's been here, and he accomplished what God had set out for him to do. Uh, and so we find this donkey. In, in town that had never been ridden before. And to us, donkeys are kind of, ugh. They're, they're happy. But in Bible times, in the Middle East, they were seen as royal beasts. They were worker, but they were very important. And kings rode into town on donkeys. To us, that's odd, but that's the way it was in the first century. And even earlier, we see in 2 Samuel an instance where a king rode into town uh, on a donkey. So this donkey had never been ridden before. It was a young colt. Why it was in town, we'll talk about in just a minute. But it was in town, and, and Jesus he said, listen, go get this donkey and bring it here. Because he knew that it was time for him to really accomplish what his main mission was. And it wasn't just to teach the disciples, it was to give his life and to shed his innocent blood so that my sin debt would be paid and your sin debt would be paid and the sin debt of all the world that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That could only happen if Jesus was who he said he was. Only God knows the future. Only God knows all things. Listen, kids are getting back to school next week. Kids know a lot of stuff. But despite what they think when they're growing up, they don't know everything. You know, in fact, the older we get and the wiser we get, the more we realize there's a lot we don't know and that we have yet to learn. But Jesus knew everything because he was God. As a young teenage boy, the only teenage incidents we have recorded in the Bible is Jesus when he was about 12 years old in Jerusalem at the temple with the, with the priests and with the leaders explaining to them the scriptures. A 12-year-old boy. And not just crazy nonsense that we would think of 12-year-olds having, but intelligent, deep theological truths well beyond a 12-year-old's explanation or knowledge. And then Jesus, as we've seen in these first 10 chapters, had cast out demons, raised people from the dead fed thousands of people 
multiple, a couple times at least, stilled winds that were stormy. They already say raise people from the dead. That one's good enough. I can add it twice. Now, is there anyone in here that can do any of those things? Stand up, please. That's what I thought. Nobody's standing. Because nobody can do those things. Who can do those things? Only God. Only God can do those things. And, you know, I know we have the advantage of um, hindsight. And it's easy for us to Monday morning quarterback and look back and say, you know, how could they not see? How could they be so clueless? Because throughout the scriptures, even beginning way back in Genesis, God began to foretell this Messiah that was going to come to deliver his people. And all throughout the Old Testament, God gives clues. And Jesus fulfills all of those clues. All those clues point to Jesus. Jesus is who he said that he was. And he still is who he says he is. We have to wrap our minds and our uh, hearts around that important truth. Jesus is who he said that he was. And that important truth is going to carry us all the way to the end of the Gospel of Mark um, when we get to Mark chapter 16. We're going to see that truth played out. But here's something else we see played out in this, these 11 verses, and that's this. Jesus has a plan, and it will come to pass. God knows all things. And, you know, I think God even is involved in human history. I think God is involved in the lives of his people. Scriptures teach that. It's not that there was this great God that just kind of put this world in motion and then left it. No. He did form this world. But then he stayed. He is intricately involved in this world. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, as David said in the Psalms. Understand, Jesus has a plan. We look back, I talked about those scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesied the Messiah and his coming. I want you to take your Bibles and find Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, or watch on the screen, it'll be on there for you. This is what Zechariah 9, 9 uh, says, Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. There's lots of scriptures in the Old Testament that we could look at that show us and remind us that God has a plan and it will be accomplished. This is one that pertains especially to this story. Though Mark does not uh, specifically mention this scripture, he knew it, and he alludes to it. The other synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke, do mention 
Zechariah 9.9 when they record uh, this incense. Zechariah lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Centuries before Jesus would come, God through the prophet Zechariah said, listen, the king that's going to redeem people is going to come. And not only is he going to come in Jerusalem, he's going to come on a donkey. And he didn't say just any old donkey. He said a colt of a donkey. A, a baby. This unridden donkey. That didn't happen just by accident. We're reminded again that Jesus was God by remembering elements of the story that Jesus told his disciples he sent two of them into town. He said, you're going to get to town, and as soon as you get past the town gate and you get to, you get to town, you're going to find a colt tied to a tree. Untie him and bring him to me. That's pretty amazing just in itself. But that's not the end. That's not all Jesus said. He said, if anybody comes out to you and says, what are you doing untying this donkey? Say to them, the Lord has need of it, and they'll let you have him. In the next breath, what did we read? These two disciples said, well, that's a weird instruction, but they knew by now when Jesus told them to do something, they better do it. And so they went, and guess what? There was this young donkey tied to a tree outside of the town general store. They said, well, let us get it and go. And crowds came out and said, that ain't your donkey, what are you doing? Don't you be stealing nobody's donkey. And they said, the Lord has need of it. And it wasn't the owner, because when we read Matthew, we, we get the sense the owner was there and among the crowd that was asking him, what are you doing untying the donkey? But when the disciples said, the master, the Lord has need of it, they let him go. So in other words, this owner played an unwitting part in what God was going to accomplish. He hadn't ridden that donkey. It hadn't been far, hadn't been used for anything. Why did he bring it to town? Because the Lord had need of it. And this, we don't know who this man was, but evidently he was a man that knew God, perhaps because God used him to say, hey, listen, I want you to bring that young donkey to town. Time to a tree outside the market. And he did. And so as they came, because it wasn't a ridden donkey, it didn't have a saddle. So they took their coats off. And they laid their outer garments on that donkey, on that colt. And Jesus rode it. And then people from town, we don't know how many people, but the disciples plus a cluster of some put, took off their outer coats and laid it on the ground 
And then some took palm branches, uh, cut off bushy branches, which we, uh, there is palm branches, something like that. We all have seen palm trees, and we know what those palm branches are. And they waved them. Well, guess what? That should send our mind back to the Old Testament. It was uh, Scripture. They proclaimed Hosanna. This is praise to God. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who's, who's coming from the throne of David. And they're quoting partly from uh, Psalm 118. It was a messianic and a royal psalm that's applied to Jesus to remind us he was who he said that he was. And so these people, some of them knew who Jesus was and what the implication was by him riding this donkey. Some didn't. They were just swept up in this crowd. They said, we don't know who, what this guy is, but hey, let's, it's in the moment. Some of them legitimately had this relationship and knowledge of Jesus. Most of them probably did not. And yet they sang these songs. They echoed what everybody else was saying. And took part in it. But then, jumping ahead just a little bit, a few days later, some that were in that same crowd outside of Jerusalem and were proclaiming as Jesus was coming down this mountain from Bethany, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In just a few days, the people were in the crowd shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. Demanding the death of Jesus. But even those that were crying, crucify him, crucify him, were unwittingly playing a part in God's perfect plan. Because God's plan all along was for the Messiah, this anointed one, the Christ, the Deliverer, to shed his innocent, sinless blood, to pay the sin debt of all mankind. And so these high priests and others that we'll see over the next several weeks that plotted against Jesus and ultimately thought they were doing him in were unwittingly a part of God's perfect plan. Which reminds us God can use anyone, even you, in his plan. God can use donkeys. He used donkeys one time in the Old Testament. You remember Balaam had this donkey. And Balaam wouldn't do what God told him to. The donkey spoke up. If God can use a donkey to speak, and he can use all these unwitting people that were just ordinary people, and even sometimes unaware that God was using them, God can use you too to accomplish his perfect will. And so I might have a couple of scriptures I want to share with you. The first is Philippians 1.6. Paul says this, he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Understand 
that God had a plan in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and a plan throughout the rest of Holy Week. And God also has a plan for your life. And God is working to bring that plan to completion. And I tell you that the first part of that plan is for you to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is something that God desires for every single person. That's the first step in God's plan for your life and for my life, is to know Him. And God's second part of the plan is for you to live for Him. And He has things for you to accomplish, and it may be uh, preaching like it was for me. It may be teaching. It may be being a business owner. It may be... You know, whatever it is that God has given you to do. But understand that if you're a child of God, God intends for you to live for Him. And He is going to use you to complete His plan. And His plan isn't over yet. As long as you've got breath, there's still things that God has for you to accomplish. So that when your life ceases, that breath goes out. You'll stand before an almighty God. And you'll spend eternity there. And that's what you were made for. You were made for eternity, not for this temporal world. But we must live for Jesus. And sometimes that's difficult. Jesus not only knew, and you know, it was nice. It's nice to have people say, that a boy, go Jesus. And that's what they were saying Sunday. But can I tell you, Jesus also knew in four days the crowds were going to be calling out for his life. And yet he went. So he got on that donkey. And he went to Jerusalem, reminding us and proclaiming to us that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords that the Old Testament said was coming. And he goes and he goes to the temple. And he walks around. And he sees what's going on there. And then leaves. And goes back for the night to Bethany. To his friend's house. And so God wants to remind us this last part uh, verse I want to share with you is 1 John 4, 4. It says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. That is the world. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. God has a plan and it will be accomplished. Understand God has a plan for your life. And it will be accomplished. And then lastly, as we wrap up this morning, I want us to see that Jesus seeks our sincere praise. So I've already mentioned there were some that were proclaiming these songs of praise. That really meant them. They knew who Jesus was. And they knew what these psalms were proclaiming. The coming of the future king. 
that was going to deliver God's people, and they were thankful that they were a part in seeing that unfold. But the great majority didn't have a clue. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. God loves to hear his people sing. So the scripture says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But praise that is insincere, God doesn't receive glory in that. You see, when praise is about ourselves, and oftentimes we make praise about ourselves, and we, we may thank God for something, but really we're making folks know, hey, I've accomplished this, and I'll throw God in just for good measure, so I look good. But you see, when we are really sincerely praising Jesus, We're not the main character of the show. He is. It wasn't so much the hubbub and the ceremony that was going on on that Palm Sunday as Jesus rode into Jerusalem that Jesus wants us to remember. It was the sincere hearts of people that really were praising God. God promised, and even hundreds of years before Zechariah that we looked at earlier, David wrote many uh, psalms uh, that talked about this coming Messiah, as well as many others from the Old Testament. We see the pictures of this coming Messiah, again, beginning in Genesis, went all the way to the end of the Old Testament. Gobs and gobs of these illustrations and promises that God has given to us that he was sending a deliverer, that a deliverer was coming. And the good news today is the deliverer has come. And Jesus knew the plan that God had for his life because he was God. And because he was God, he didn't only know God's plan, he was able to accomplish it. He was able to shed sinless blood, something no other human being has ever had. And he says, listen, I don't want your lip service. I don't want you just to know about me. I want you to sincerely praise me because I've done something in your life. I want you to be aware of who I am and what I've done for you. And so don't make it about you. Make it about me, Jesus says. Jesus seeks our sincere praise. for being allowed to have a part to play in his plan. God is still working his plan, and although as we watch the world news, oh, my goodness. Tell Leslie occasionally when we do watch the news, I don't watch it very often anymore. But I'll say, well, let's see what else is going haywire in the world. This world's a hot mess. Our community is a hot mess. I mean, crazy stuff's going on in Pearl. And wherever you live around here, 
crazy stuff's going on. And around our world, my goodness, what a mess mankind has made of this world. You see, that's all that mankind can do because that's all sin ever does is destroy and make messes. And I tell you, it's only God that can bring redemption. See, there are a lot of people throughout history that have tried to save themselves and save others. But there's only one who could be a savior. There's only one who could be the king of kings and lord of lords. And his name is Jesus. And he's still alive today. and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And scripture says one day he's coming back again. Church, I remind us and ask us this question, are we ready? Is our praise unwitting? Are we, un, do we understand we have a part to play in God's plan? And are we playing that part? By sincerely praising Jesus. We praise Him with our lives and with our songs. It's not just coming and singing some songs and hearing God's word preached. It's by worshiping with our lives, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12, where he says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. God expects you to sincerely praise him. And I tell you that, that it's not your voice that God wants. God wants to see he loves to hear you see, see and hear your voice. But what he really longs for is to see a change that's taking place. He doesn't want you to say it. He wants to see it. And when we live a life that's changed, that's the way to praise God. And by the way, the only thing people can't argue about, they can argue about the Bible, but they can't argue with your testimony, the fact that you once were lost. And now I'm found. Can't argue with that. And that's plenty of reason to give praise. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, thank you that you are God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that love us and work in us and among us and around us. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that for the very first time has come face to face with the Messiah. Lord, they've never accepted that free gift. Would you help them today to receive that gift? Maybe up till now they've been unwitting participants in praise. But today they want to become intentional participants of experiencing your amazing grace. God, thank you that you find the lost and you give sight to the blind. Lord, maybe there are some of us here today that are saved. Lord, not, we've really honestly not been acting like it. And as we've seen today, you call us to be part of a plan that you have for this world and for us. 
Maybe today there's one that needs to repent and to come back to you and say, Lord, I've, made, I've been doing it my own way. I've been trusting in myself, and it's only made a mess of things. Lord, help me to trust in you. Maybe one need to call out, as David did in, in the Psalms, to restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, thank you that you are a loving God that forgives and cleanses us from sin. Lord, help us to be your people. Help us to be a part of your plan and what you're doing in this world and what you're doing in our lives. And we'll be careful to give you praise for it. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this old hymn of response. Only trust him. And friend, that's the only way you can do it is to trust him. If you trust in yourself, it's trouble. Guarantee it not trusting in the preacher it's not trusting in the church not trusting in your baptism it's trusting in the savior that's the only thing that will get you there let's sing together